Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby. And I'm Mary Kay Cabot. We are sitting in the Browns media room on a Wednesday. I've been all thrown off on my day, so I'm glad I got that one right. Uh, remember to subscribe on iTunes, uh, Google Play, um, Spotify as well. Search Orange and Brown Talk podcast to get us there. And Mary Kay, let's talk about um, three different things, and we'll start with Hard Knocks. We saw episode two uh, last night. And the big thing was the big two things were Corey Coleman and Antonio Callaway. So let's start with uh, let's start with Corey Coleman because it definitely it definitely did not make Corey Coleman look very good. Uh, that montage leading up to him being traded. Yeah, it really did not. And I thought the interesting thing was it wasn't just Hugh Jackson uh, that Corey Coleman has worn out his welcome with. He's only been with Todd Haley for a short <laughs> period of time, and Todd seemed to have just lose his patience with Corey Coleman every single time now we had been hearing it out in practice but here they you know they did the cut up and they put it all together and he's yelling at Corey after almost every single play for not giving enough effort for not fighting for contested balls for not running running the right routes and so this wasn't just a situation of Hugh Jackson not liking Corey Coleman yeah, and you know, then Corey Coleman comes into probably the biggest surprise in the episode is Corey Coleman coming into Hugh Jackson's office and basically saying, uh, if you don't like the way I play, why don't you trade me? And, well, <laughs> the Browns traded him, and as Emmanuel Ogba uh, pointed out, it wasn't they, they pretty much just gave him away. Yeah, they really did. They gave him away, and I think that's all they needed to hear. You know, the minute he said, why don't you just trade me, it's like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah. Why not? So, you know, I think they were just all at the end of their rope, and I think they they just wanted to move on and turn the page from Corey Coleman. It was a drain on the receiver room. It was a drain on Todd Haley during practice. It was, as you could see in hard knocks, that it was just uh, a negative experience, and this team is trying to move forward. They're trying to be positive. They're trying to uh, win football games this year, and he just wasn't fitting in. Now, the other part of it was Antonio Callaway, uh, who, of course, was cited for marijuana possession, suspended license, uh, before the premiere of the first episode. That's how much that's how much they were backed up on Hard Knocks with storylines from this team. That they were talking, there were things from the before the first episode that dominated the second one. Um, so we got to see the meeting that Hugh Jackson and John Dorsey had with him mm-hmm. uh, on the Tuesday that they found out, the same way we all found out. Yep. Um, the story came out on Tuesday during practice, and we got to see the meeting. And so my impressions of the meeting, and again, we didn't see everything, but mm-hmm. the part we saw was them basically saying to him, you have our numbers. Right. You've got to communicate with that, this with us. People are watching you. Um, to paraphrase John Dorsey, to keep it family friendly, they're they're waiting for you to mess up. That that was sort of the message that we saw delivered to Callaway. Yeah, I think I was a little surprised about how kind of easy they went on yeah. him. You know, they were like, "Hey, although <laughs> Hugh Jackson, yeah, Hugh Hugh came went down a on him. Tough on him. Yeah, I think that John Dorsey has a soft uh, spot in his heart for Antonio Callaway, and really, uh, I think in general he. Uh, he really tries to get guys in here and you know take them under his wing and give them a soft landing spot where they can kind of get their life back on track and and go out there and play some good football and become product- productive members of society. I mean, he really enjoys, I think, rehabilitating some of these guys. And I think he likes Antonio Callaway a lot. I think that was evident in the episode last night. and uh, And I think these guys are trying to say, look, you know, we think that he's someone 
worth saving. And throughout the, the, the episode two, I thought that it was very interesting to hear Hugh Jackson say, but this was it. This was your mulligan. If you are lying to me on this, I will have your ASS. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, too, is it helps that Antonio Callaway is really talented and put together a second half like he did against the Giants. That certainly helps a, a GM and a coach be willing to continue to take chances on a guy. Um, and that was another thing that I really thought was interesting, the exchanges on the sideline with Callaway. Hugh Jackson, again, serving warning to him as he came off the field. Uh, and Todd Haley, when he was talking to Jarvis Landry, basically saying to him, Take him under your wing, even if he has to live at your house. And then he says, you know, Larry Fitzgerald would have done it. Of course, Todd Haley knows Larry Fitzgerald very well, and he invokes a name that Jarvis Landry has invoked a number of time and times in interviews as well. Um, I, I think Haley was a little surprised that part made it on the show. But you can see what they're trying to do with Callaway. Yeah, they really are. I mean, they are extending every uh, bit of support and every helping hand that they can think of to try – to help this young man become something. And you can see what his talent is on the football field. We have been seeing it out here since OTAs. We know what we're looking at here when we're looking at Antonio Callaway. He is a talent. He is a first-round talent at receiver. He really is. And they got him in the fourth round uh, because of his struggles. Now, if they can make something out of him off the field and he can stay on the straight and narrow, this will be quite the bargain, almost like you know, a Josh Gordon was in the second round of the supplemental draft. But to get a guy like this with this amount of talent in the fourth round, there were teams that wouldn't touch him. <laughs> there were teams that yeah. did not have him on their draft board. And, you know, they looked into it. They said, you know, I mean, they did. They went to Gainesville. Uh, they did their due diligence. And they felt that, uh, you know, that he was a, a good enough human being uh, that they would try to, to make him be a better young man. And, you know, you mentioned the name Josh Gordon. You know, that's the that's the lesson in all of this, too. You know, the Browns took a chance on Josh Gordon. They got a steal in Josh Gordon when he's on the field. And that's the hitch with Callaway. He's got to be able to stay out of trouble, and he's got to be able to stay on the field. And what was it Mike Pettin used to like to say? Trust is lost in buckets and earned in drops or something like that. That was a Mike Pettinism yes. that he loved to use with Johnny Manziel. Yep. That's kind of how it is with Callaway now. It's going to take time to really build that trust up and – you're going to have to go through stretches, those nervous stretches of off time for NFL players and hope that he stays out of trouble and hope that something like this doesn't crop up again. I think um, one of the keys for him is that nobody seems to think he's going to test positive yeah. with the NFL. John Dorsey doesn't, Hugh Jackson doesn't, and Antonio Callaway. None of them think he's testing positive, which means that he would, you know, he could then remain in stage one and not be in, in jeopardy of then moving on to some kind of a suspension. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I'm sure the league had to get involved in some way because he's in the program from having the watered-down sample at the Combine. Uh, But as of right now, these guys are buying into his story. The weed wasn't his, and they're trying to move on and put this past him. Um, Okay, so the other parts of Hard Knocks that that stood out to us, Todd Haley. He was was the star uh, of Tuesday's Hard Knocks episode. Uh, everybody kind of falling, everybody falling in love with Todd Haley in Cleveland. They kind of love his mentality and his approach uh, to the game and the way he's working with these guys. Of course, he made fun of Carl Nassib's name. That was a highlight. We watched that again uh, right before we started recording. Yeah. Uh, but Todd Haley certainly has 
Uh, when, when you talk about culture changes, you have seen in hard knocks so far what it is the Browns are hoping he can bring. Yeah, and I mean, he really does. He brings a mix of, of tough, toughness and then, as you saw in that episode last night, the sense of humor, uh, talking to those guys about Carl not really being a baby name. <laughs> and I never really thought of that before. But, I mean, I just laughed so hard at that part of, of the episode. I just thought that was so funny and so on point, you know, but for him to be pointing that out and, and just the way that, uh, you know, that he was talking to Tyrod and those guys about that, I, I thought that was a great scene. And, yeah, he, he brings a toughness, and you could see that in the Corey Coleman scenes. He's not messing around out there. Todd Haley is, is not uh, taking any prisoners. He's out there screaming. He's out there yelling. Uh, if you dare touch his quarterback – you know, you're going to lose an arm, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had the big fireworks that went on between Todd Haley and Greg Williams this week. And uh, that, I'm sure, will be seen on the next episode of Hard Knocks. But, yeah, he brings a fieriness. Greg Williams brings a fieriness. And, of course, Hugh Jackson says he, he's the the supreme fire starter or, or whatever <laughs> he said he was. Um, but, yeah, there's, a, um, there's an edge, a nastiness going on around here that a lot of people think, uh, was a missing component of this Browns team. Yeah, and the thing about Haley, too, is you know he's run successful offenses. Everybody knew he, he was a little abrasive. We all knew about the Big Ben stuff and, and all of that. But he also brings with all of that that he's put together some really, really good offenses, especially during his time in Pittsburgh when he had all those weapons to work with. And, and I think we saw it against the Giants, too. And obviously you're not going to see everything, but – there were things there that he showed that, okay, this offense is going to look different. It, it didn't look like a Hugh Jackson offense, so it, this is definitely Todd Haley's offense. It's going to look different, and there's going to be some opportunities for this team to put points on the board. Yeah, there definitely will be. And, um, you know, he talked today about, you know, these guys having to learn the terminology, but it seems as though uh, they're picking it up pretty well. I, I think that this is an offense that – is going to come together by the beginning of the season, and it could be a very good offense. And the other thing I think about Todd Haley that uh, is interesting to, to note, it's good for the Browns that he his background is primarily as a receivers coach because that is, seems to be where all of the issues are right now. So even though they've got Adam Henry, who is uh, amazing with people, I think it's good that Todd Haley is really focused in on the receivers, knows what he's looking at, and knows how to get the most out of guys like that. All right, so Hard Knocks has been very interesting to watch. Um, I I think it's important to remember, though, as as I've seen some people tweet, it's not a documentary. You know, it's it's a TV show. Um, So that's really kind of the uh, – that's sort of the catch here. Real quick before we move on, there's a big divide about Hugh Jackson and Mm -hmm. how he's come off on this show. Yep. Honestly, I, th- I mean, there was the exchange with Haley, and, yeah. and we've had coaches talk about that. Freddie Kitchens was really good on that earlier this week yep. and kind of saying, like, that was nothing, basically. Right. Um, I felt like Hugh, I feel like Hugh Jackson has been fine on this show. Yeah. You know, I haven't come away feeling like, okay, this guy's, you know, an amazing leader of men, but I haven't come away feeling like he's, he's not doing a good job, at least in this sort of new role he's taken on. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think he's been fine. Well, I think the situation with Hugh Jackson is there are so many people that still want to fully blame him for 1-31. in 31. There are a lot of people that felt that he should be fired. There were a lot of people that didn't like how he handled Deshaun Kaiser, although he really didn't have very many options. Uh, but there are a lot of people that just don't like him 
because of one in 31 and aren't willing to give him a chance and aren't willing, are not willing to give him a break or the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, when any little thing that they're going to see on hard knocks, the anti-Hugh people, and there are legions of them, <laughs> are, are going to just crucify him for those sorts of things. You know, you know, little things like an exchange between him and Tyrod, Tyrod. You know, people are ripping him for that. You know, you can't have it both ways. I don't know. I, I just feel like there's just so many people that are not willing to give him a chance. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, I get it. I mean, one in 31 is one in 31. Right. And a, a lot of people didn't like how he handled um, things with Sashi Brown. They didn't like that he seemed to throw his players under the bus a little bit at times. Maybe some people would say a lot at times. I understand the sentiment. And I understand why people would be upset and not, like, I mean, he hasn't won. He's one in 31. There's no hiding from that. Right. I guess to me, it's, he's the coach. It didn't change. It's not going to change. Right. And you know what? If he comes out and he's bad this year, they're going to get what they what they want. He's he's going to be gone. Uh, but if he comes out and wins, that's what you want, right? So I, I don't know. To me, we're going to get a black and white answer on this eventually. So I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not out to scrutinize every little thing I see from him on Hard Knocks. Well, let's see. I mean, you know, why not take a wait-and-see approach and find out, okay, uh, be, was he one in thirty-one because he did not have the talent, and that they had an all analytics approach and didn't do a good enough job stocking the team with talent, uh, or was he one in thirty-one because he wasn't a good enough head coach? And like you said, that the proof will be in the pudding. It will be in how they play and if they win some games. And I do think that they should be expected to win somewhere around six or seven games this year. And I know that's a big jump, but I think with the talent that they have. Uh, that that's where the bar should be set. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. We'll see. You know, we'll let those pass fail grades on Sunday kind of determine where this goes. Um, the other thing from Hard Knocks and also beyond, Des Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, he is coming for a visit on Thursday. By the time a lot of you listen to this, he likely will have already come for a visit. Maybe there will be news on him uh, at that point. Uh, so Des Bryant, does this tell us anything about Josh Gordon? I think to me that's the big question about this. What does this have to do with how they feel about Gordon? I think it has something to do with how they feel about what's going on with Josh Gordon. I think they don't really know exactly when Josh is coming back. And even if they have an idea of when Josh Gordon is coming back, what they don't know is if he'll stay back. And that's the whole key. Because if he had to leave two days before training camp or announce that two days before training camp that he was not here, then I think everyone has to realize he was struggling even when the season was not going on. So, you know, it wasn't like he had the pressure of going out there and being the man. And we know that uh, for most of his life he was drinking or smoking before each game. Now he's expected to try to go out there and play (laughs) and perform and be great while he's sober and you know somehow some way he was struggling with this whole thing again and so I think they have to realize that even if he does come back even if he walks through the door tomorrow can you count on him for the opener can you count on him to make it through the first half of the season or 16 games so I think anything they get out of Josh Gordon is a bonus they have to proceed as though they do not have him. They've got a season to get ready for, and the opener is not too far off. Yeah, I mean, every day he's not here is – I know that 
you know, if you bring up that maybe Josh Gordon won't be here for the season or won't be here at the beginning of the season, a lot of fans will just say, oh, he's coming back, he's coming back. Well, maybe, but every day that he's not here is another day closer to September 9th and another day closer to having to play the Steelers. And the Hard, knock can- hard Knocks cameras aren't leaving anytime soon. It's not like they leave tomorrow. Right. That show runs all the way through that Tuesday before the season starts. So, you know, whatever it is, yeah. That, that's keeping him away. Like, like you mentioned, I don't know if he would... I, I know the, there's a lot of people out there that buy into the theory maybe he's avoiding the cameras. I, I don't know that I buy into that. But, you know, every day he's not here is a day closer to the opener. You know what, Dan? Let's address that for a minute because I don't buy that at all. Yeah, I, I don't really I either. I mean, I just don't buy that at all. Why would Josh Gordon, who came out last year and bared his soul and told his story in so many places, GQ, and then he went on uninterrupted and told his entire life story there facts that shocked us people that have known him for years uh things that we didn't know about why would he shy away from the hard knocks cameras i mean it's not like they would be trained on him all over the place we haven't even seen guys hardly on camera at all a lot of guys even baker mayfield hasn't been shown that much believe it or not so this wasn't going to be the josh gordon show and there's so many storylines here i just do not buy that whatsoever i I don't either i mean it would have been a storyline and it would have been a you know had had he been here on day one it would have been Here's the Josh Gordon story, yes. and then move on. And maybe it would have been mentioned here and there. But, right. you know, and the other thing, like, I'm not convinced that the Hard Knocks cameras aren't trying to find Josh Gordon as it is. Right. I'm not convinced that they aren't trying to get to him still. Right. So, you know, I, I, I don't buy into that theory at all. And again, like I said, this show doesn't end next week. It goes right. all the way through Final Cuts. Plus, if you if you are trying to turn a team around from 0-16, do you think that you're going to let your number one receiver, who you basically felt last year stepped into this facility and became the best football player on this team immediately, <laughs> just go hang out in Gainesville for a few weeks so he didn't have to be on hard knocks? When you're trying to install a new offense? Yeah. I mean, no way. I mean, there's just no way any of that makes any kind of sense. Every time I hear that, I cringe because I'm like, <laughs> this is not about hard knocks. This is a young man who is struggling with his recovery in some way, shape, or form. I have my theories about how that could have happened, um, but he is somewhere trying to get himself back together. I applaud him for that. I applaud the medical team for giving him the opportunity, and I also applaud the Browns and the NFL for giving the, him the time that he needs to try to recover because that's the most important thing. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the football side of it. And that's why you get names like Des Bryant and right. why they're having receivers in for workouts and why they have to really count on Antonio Callaway to have a, a big rookie season. What about Des Bryant, though? Should they bring Des Bryant onto this football team? You know, I would take the chance. I know that. I know that he's not the player he he used to be. I, I understand that. You know, I know he drops a lot of balls, which Browns fans would probably it would drive them crazy. Um, but I do think he can still play. And I think if you bring him in on like a nice one-year deal, it's a mutually beneficial thing. The Browns can benefit from that. And Des Bryant could benefit from, you know, maybe getting paid again uh, after this season. So I think it could be a low-risk move. And if you bring him in and it's an issue... You can get him out of here just as easily if it's a, like a one-year deal or something. So I think you have to at least look into it and take the chance. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a chance worth taking, but here's what has to happen. 
Des Bryant would have to come in here and they would have to sit him down. You're going to sit him down with Adam Henry, Todd Haley, um, John Dorsey, Hugh Jackson, whether you meet as a group or separately, and you make it clear to him, we will bring you in here on a one-year prove-it deal and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. You give us every single thing that you have. You stay in your lane. You stay focused. You do your thing. You don't give us any trouble. You don't be calling out your out the quarterback or any of the other things that we um, you know, have seen or heard from afar that he has done. I think they would need to say, this is, this is how it has to be for us. We've got a, a tumultuous receiver room full of drama. We don't need that. We don't need any more drama. What we need is you to come in here, to be a leader, to put your nose down, to work hard, to grind it out, uh, to prove yourself, and then maybe, look, if things work out, you end up with a multi-year contract either here or somewhere else, so it can be a win-win. And then Des, what he has to get a comfort level with is he wants to go to a contender, and he has to come in here and find out is he going to be happy here? And if he's not going to be happy here winning six or seven games, and, you know, is he going to get along with Todd Haley? He's got to meet the, the players involved here. Is he, is he going to be able to coexist in the receiver room with Jarvis Landry and, and some of the other people that are in there? Antonio Callaway, will they all be good? How are the dynamics going to work out? Will they, they all be good with each other? They all need to be really honest. They need to lay their cards on the table. And... I actually should be in the room. I think I could. <laughs> I agree. I think I could make this meeting go well. Very next well. next Tuesday night, it will be like you're in the room. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and, and the other thing too is, I, I think they have to gauge whether he understands. And I know this is hard for NFL players and competitive guys that he understands he's not Des Bryant from 2014 or whatever. That he's a different Des Bryant, and they're, you know. That's how they have to approach it, too. It's not the same guy. It's a, a guy who has had two years of kind of shoulder shrug type of production. But, again, he's had production, and, you know, maybe you take a chance on that. Yeah, and he has averaged almost 800 yeah. yards receiving. I mean, that's not, that's not too right? shabby. In each of the last couple of years. And, um, and, you know, I think he would argue with you on that point. He probably would. I think he would say that he is every bit the three-time Pro Bowl receiver that he was from, whatever, 2014 through 2016. So I think he would probably tell you that he's been injured and that there have been other extenuating circumstances. So, you know what, maybe that's good. Come in here hungry and try to prove to everyone that you still are the receiver that everyone remembers that made three straight Pro Bowls. And I think they have... You know, you look at the quarterback room, too. Um, I think they have guys that can handle Dez. I think Tyrod Taylor can handle Dez. Yep. I just did a mix of Tyrod and Tyrod. I'm still getting, <laughs> I'm still getting used to the new name. Ty. Th- Let's go Ty. Ty. Okay. That's what Baker I think, does. I think he can handle Dez. And I, I get the impression the players seem to really like Tyrod Taylor. They really oh, yeah. seem to view him. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, t- in that GQ article, yes. actually singled out Tyrod Taylor as, yep. as a quarterback that he likes. I think players really like him yes um and then baker mayfield too even if he plays as a rookie he's got the personality to handle a guy like des bryant and to have jarvis landry and des bryant and whoever else in his ear saying give me the ball give me the ball i think baker mayfield is a guy that can handle that too yeah and if when you think about it and who knows when baker mayfield is going to play um but 
a quarterback, a rookie quarterback that has 46 college starts under his belt, I mean, that's almost unheard of anymore. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that he comes in with so much confidence and so much moxie and can just play the way that he does. He doesn't get nervous. He goes out there and he has a great time. And um, and I do think that he could handle a situation like this where where he has, a, you know, a, a Des Bryant, if if the case, if it came down to that, you know, tugging on his jersey and saying, you know, I'm open or whatever the case may be. I don't think he's a shrinking violet. He's not going to back down to anything. So, yes, you're right. They've got a strong quarterback room uh, with very self-assured young men that could handle uh, some of the diva receivers that are that are going to come through here. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of Baker Mayfield, the latest Hugh Jackson quote that, again, sent Twitter ablaze, uh, today it came about Drew Stanton and Baker Mayfield. So here's the, uh, here's the quote. Um, he basically said that he needs to find out, you know, what Drew Stanton is, right? So here's a, here's a quote on him clarifying um, about Drew Stanton. I've said from the beginning that I think experience is important. Right now, Drew still has that experience, and we will see how that all unfolds as we go. I know what you're asking. I've not made that choice just yet, that choice being who the backup quarterback would be. But I think his veteran presence says a lot. He's played in a lot of games against a lot of teams that we are going to start off against and play against. So I think that is important to definitely consider. So again, I feel like with Hugh Jackson, because he is such a divisive Mm -hmm. figure among Browns fans in the NFL, people kind of read this and went into a, okay, here we go again. Why wouldn't you just make Baker Mayfield a backup quarterback? I think all he's saying is he just wants to kind of see what Drew Stanton does with game reps in the preseason for him in Todd Haley's offense. And then he'll make a decision going forward because let's be honest, it's the middle of August. It's not September 9th yet. Right. Um, For me personally, I'd be surprised if Drew Stanton were the backup. I wouldn't necessarily endorse that. Um, But again, sort of like with the hard knock stuff, I'm just not going to go into panic mode over him saying that he might consider it because I think that, I think that's fair at this point. I think it's very, very fair, Dan, and I would have no problem with throwing Drew Stanton into the game early on in the season if you don't think Baker Mayfield's ready. We just talked to Ken Zampezi a couple of days ago, and he said Baker Mayfield still has a long way to go. Well, the start of the season is three weeks away, so unless he can close that gap in three weeks, why not start someone who has gone out over the past 12 years and actually won games? He's got a winning record, something almost no uh, Browns quarterback since 1999 has. So here he is. He's got a 11 victories to his credit and yeah we haven't seen a tremendous camp from Drew Stanton because he's playing with third teamers he's taking the third team reps behind Baker Mayfield so I mean and and Tyra Taylor so you would have to see what he could do with the starters and they you know they're not even worried about that they have enough confidence in Drew Stanton that he could go in there that they're not even giving him any any first-team reps out here. They're not even giving Baker any first-team reps. Tyrod Taylor is the only one that's really been working with the starters, except for in the game, Baker worked with a lot of the starters. But for the most part, um, Tyrod's the only one, Tyrod, Tyrod, Ty's the only (laughs) one getting um, these first-team reps. But I'd have no problem with it, because if you're saying that he is not ready to play, then how are you going to throw him in there against the Steelers in week one or against the Saints in week two if something happens to tie. See, 
that's just where I disagree. I, I think you know I'm all for how they're handling this with Terod Taylor starting, and and I think that's I think that was the right way to go about it, considering the history here, considering you know Baker Mayfield. Um, we didn't know kind of how he would translate. I, I and I like the idea of making Baker Mayfield wait to play, but I don't love the idea of making him third string. I, I understand. You know, I guess you can make the case that if he's not ready to start, he's not ready to play as the backup either. But I think at some point, like you like you said earlier, he started 46 games in college. He's 23 years old. I mean, at some point, you've just got to – what was the line from Todd Haley? We can't live in our fears. I don't, You can't live in your fears of Baker Mayfield. You've got to just make him the backup quarterback. And if he ends up out there week one for some reason, he's out there week one. Well, I think you just have to take it as it comes. I think you have to see where he's at. Uh, in week one or week two. And if he is demonstrating that he's playing well under center, center, he's reading defenses, he's understanding the game plan, you know, maybe, maybe you think that he is ready. But if he's not ready, you know, don't put yourself through that, don't put him through that, because you don't want him to lose his confidence. He is, as they keep saying, the future of this franchise. So if the situation came about where he has to sit for a few weeks – you know, that probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I don't think if you are making Drew Stanton your backup early on in the season, it's not going to stay that way. Baker Mayfield is going to start games at some point this year. He has to. They have to get him ready for next year. I mean, chances are Tyrod Taylor is not going to be around next year. I mean, maybe he will be, but it's more likely that they turn the team over to Baker and they, they let Tyrod go and and sign a contract with somebody else as a free agent. So, you know, you've got to get this young man ready to play football, and that's going to happen at some point in the second half of the season. But if you feel in the first quarter of the season that he is still coming up the learning curve, you have somebody that went 3-1 and one last year in Arizona and has gone 4-1 and one in his last two seasons. And I'll go a little further. <laughs> He's gone 9-4 and four since 2014. So he's won some football games. The game is sl- very slow for him, and I think he, could, I think he go in, could go in there and have a little success. But let me ask you this. Would you be surprised if he was the backup week one? Like, would that? Drew? Yeah. No. See, I would be. I would be surprised if he was the backup quarterback week one. I know what he said today. But I, I would be surprised if Baker Mayfield was not the number two quarterback week one. You know, you could also, if you had to, dress both of them. Although, yeah. you know, I don't know if that would happen or not. But, I mean, you could dress both of them and then make the decision in the heat of the moment if something came about. You know, you could do something like that. But, no, I would not be surprised because if you don't think he's ready to start against the Steelers, then – you probably don't think he's ready to finish that game against the Steelers either. All right, so that'll be uh, it'll be interesting to watch. We'll get to see. Hey, Buffalo, there are storylines in this game. We didn't really get to that because it's a preseason game. But, you know, real quickly, Terod Taylor going against his old team. Yep. Josh Allen is going to play in this game. Uh, A.J. McCarron yes. uh, is with the Bills. Our old friend Jordan Poyer will be back. Oh, and there's somebody else too. Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman. We for, almost forgot about Corey Coleman. Yeah, there are storylines aplenty for this game. Tyrod Taylor admitted, has admitted again, that the snub of the Bills 
trading him to Cleveland for a third-round pick after he snapped their 17-year playoff drought is motivation for this season, and he carries it with him to work every single day. So I think that's significant. And now you've got Corey Coleman coming in here, and the big question on everyone's mind is going to be, you know, can Corey rehabilitate his career with a change of scenery? And, you know, was this one of those situations where he just got in the doghouse here and couldn't get himself out of it? Or is Corey just what we've seen over the past couple of years and in these practices out here, the things that Todd Haley was yelling about, and those things will show up? Did the Browns make the right choice between Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield? Uh, There were a lot of people, myself including, included. (laughs) Hayden, Hayden Grove. That awesome. liked Josh Allen. I, I, there were things that I really liked about Josh Allen. I don't know. I just am probably going to eat those words, and nobody's <laughs> ever going to let me forget about it. Um, but I, I liked some of the things that I saw, and I thought he corrected uh, some of the accuracy issues. But now that I see Baker Mayfield up close and in person every day throwing the football, I've said this, I, I've written this, I've never seen a better locator of the football. I, I mean, I honestly threw here. I, I've never seen somebody be able to put the football on a dime the way that he does here. He puts the ball exactly where he wants it to go. It comes out in a hurry, and I think that is going to serve him very well and cover up for any some you know some other deficiencies that you might have here or there. If you can put the ball on the money fast, then you're going to make a lot of plays. I, it's something we haven't seen here, and I think it's something that people – don't necessarily realize if they don't watch a guy like Drew Brees regular, Tom Brady regularly, or right. some of these other other guys. Like great quarterback play or good quarterback play, or just just being able to drop back and get the ball out in however many seconds, X number of seconds. Right. All of a sudden, the protection is better. All of a sudden, your offensive linemen are a whole lot better. Right. All of a sudden, these you know a middling receiver is significantly better because it's simply a matter of him running a good route and the ball getting to him on time. You know, I, I mean, a guy like Rashard Higgins has yes. benefited from having two quarterbacks that are getting the ball out on time and on target. Exactly. Baker Mayfield has made a star out of Rashard Higgins <laughs> in this training camp because he throws an unbelievably catchable ball. He puts it where you can catch it. He puts it you know, uh, you know, on your body where you can actually, you know, get a handle on it. It comes in the way a receiver likes it. And Richard Higgins, I, I don't even know if I've seen him. He may have dropped one or two passes. This I think whole he's, game. Yeah, I, I he's think catching everything. Drops. I've seen a couple drops, but it, when he drops it, it's a shock. Yeah, and you know that is because of the location. That is because Baker has this uncanny knack for, for just throwing it precisely on a dime. And, you know, if you just – we have not heard that about Josh Allen coming out of out of Bill's training camp at all. Some of those accuracy issues, some of the things that Deshaun Kaiser struggled here with last year are showing up for him there. Yeah. So, and, and he doesn't have 46 starts under his belt either. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this one plays out. And sometimes you just don't get your answer on a quarterback class for four or five years. Oh, yeah. It's going to take time. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take time. Um, all right. So that will do it for our latest edition of Orange and Brown Talk. We went a lot longer than I expected here. Uh, Browns and Bills on Friday. We'll try and record something around that game after the game or the next day. Something like that. So stay tuned for that. And, of course, as always, subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, search Orange and Brown Talk, and then Google Play as well. Uh, I think that was everything. Do we miss anything? I I don't know. I think we're good. I think so. <laughs> I've got a I've got a great New York travel story. We're going to get into that in one of these podcasts. We've got to start telling some, oh, yeah. some travel stories. Oh, definitely. We're going to save that for a later podcast. We also have an interview with Jabril Peppers um, that I can stick at the tail end of one of these podcasts as well. So uh, lots of reasons to, to subscribe and listen. Uh, and thanks for listening to this one, everybody.